This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we bring in some of the FlexPod guys to talk about automation using Puppet. Now, episode 40, Masters of Puppet. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name, of course, is Glenn Sizemore, filling in for Justin Parisi, who's slacking this week. Uh, joining me, as always, well, typically as always, the illustrious Andrew Sullivan. How are you doing, Sully? Yeah, it's hard to say always, since I've been gone like three of the last four weeks. Yeah, I know. I, well, I, I guess I don't sit in this chair very often, and typically when I used to, it was filling in after Pete, so I'm just used to th- his old intro. <laughs> Has has Justin like changed the mold of the chair yet or anything? I I will I will admit my butt doesn't fit as well as it used to. <laughs> Does the microphone like smell differently over there? A uh, little cinnamon. I don't know where that comes from, but yeah. but yeah, I'm, I'm picking up a little bit of cinnamon. Uh, so joining us in the studio today, uh, I, I brought two of my teammates uh, from FlexPod because uh, we've got some pretty fun stuff to talk about today. Uh, so first and foremost, we've got the illustrious David Kane. Dave, introduce yourself and let the listeners know what you do here at NetApp, please. Uh, hey, guys. David Kane, uh, back on the Tech on Tap podcast, uh, teammate of, of Glenn Sizemore here. So I focus on uh, all things OpenStack on FlexPod at, at NetApp, and I'm a technical marketing engineer, if I didn't already say that. Yeah. <laughs> and then sitting next to him is Amit. Amit, help me with your last name, man. I don't want to murder it. <laughs> it's Burukar. Amit Baruker. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm also a TME uh, on the FlexPod team with Glenn and Dave, and I've been working on some of the puppet automation stuff on FlexPod. Uh, don't give away the lead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, and, 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 and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today on this show. So, so this week's show, uh, listeners at home, uh, we're going to be talking all about uh, what you can do with Puppet and NetApp Storage uh, based on some work that we've been doing on the FlexPod team. Sound like a plan, Sully? I think that sounds great. Although I do want to, before we get started, ask Dave. So we uh, last week, I think it was, or maybe the week before, we did our OpenStack Summit recap. Uh, so I know you and I were there. We actually worked the booth together a little bit. So what was, what was your uh, perception? What was your interpretation of the conference? Containers, containers, containers. I've never heard of these containers things. <laughs> no, I, I think from a general sense down in Austin, um, I got a lot of a good energy vibe from the audience and the customers. And everything is, is moving to a, a shared platform, a shared infrastructure as a service. We're, we're moving away from you know, the traditional sense of you know, writing custom automation yourself. We're, we're, we're moving more into defined automation frameworks. I mean, you look at a lot of the sessions that were there, it had major heavy hitter players, Ansible, Puppet, Chef, Salt, you know, as a basis for what people are talking about in their session. This this is uh, the bare floor, shall I say, nowadays now. This is not in... This is not a conversation to have to where this is something that's optional. This is absolutely mandatory for business processes nowadays. And that OpenStack Summit, I think, Further solidified that for me. Yeah, I was uh, I was kidding with uh, Doctor Desktop himself, Mr. Chris Gebhart, who's not a doctor. Uh, that you know, just like we've been saying, it's been the year of the VDI for I don't know the better part of a decade. You know, should we start saying it's the year of OpenStack? You know, should should that become a thing? 
I, I think it already is a thing. I mean, one of my favorite uh, sessions, I, I gave one out there with our own uh, NetApp internal deployment of, of OpenStack, you know, just as a use case. That's the title of the session. Those are my favorite ones to attend. Yeah. Because we get a real sense of how this software is being used. I mean, it, it's it's no longer a science experiment. I hate to use that term, but I, I sometimes hear that of folks that may not be familiar with the ecosystem. It's not anymore. We have huge businesses using this as their performant workloads in production today. It's just this this is a ground floor, and, and OpenStack has, has certainly been there for about five years. It's a mature platform. And the other thing that I heard of at the summit, not, not to parlay too much about that, but NFV, you know, hearing from AT&T, yeah. you know, totally standardizing within the next uh, three years, 75% of their infrastructure is going to be on OpenStack, backed with NFV. Uh, th this is critical mass. We've reached that. Yeah, so uh, I, I did have a little bit of a, uh, a background agenda here, and that was to use OpenStack Summit as the springboard into talking about, you know, our main topic today. And the reason I did that is because, so years ago, um, many years ago now, right, I was introduced into Puppet and Chef and that entire ecosystem because we were deploying OpenStack Essex, right, way back in the uh, the early days. And it was one of those things, right, where nobody wants to go in and hand configure these things because if you think the install is bad today, right, step back five years. You're a brave soul. So. Yeah, so uh, it's one of those, I got introduced into it and... Uh, saw the value and began applying it to other things. So, you know, I, for me personally, right, the declarative configuration management tools, right, Puppet mm -hmm. Chef, Ansible Salt, DSC from PowerShell, yep. right, Fuel from Mirantis, right, they're all in the same sort of, of category, um, valuable, valuable tools. And it's things that we've we've alluded to that we've uh, uh, briefly talked about here on the podcast before, but I'm extremely happy that we're actually devoting some time to it. Yeah, so with that, uh, let's let's go ahead and kick into this. So uh, there, there are two publications that, we're, that we went ahead and linked to in the show notes for this show uh, that I invite the listeners to go take a peek at if you're interested in this topic. But, but definitely keep listening because we're going we're gonna to give you the meat of that, the, the, those papers here shortly. But uh, the first of which is a blog post that, that Amit put, produced for us out on the net. Help me out here, Sully. What, what is the... NetApp.github.io. Out on the NetApp.github.io site uh, where, where he was talking to... Actually, Emit, you, you mm -hmm. want to talk to uh, what, what that blog post was actually covering for us? Yeah, sure. So uh, to start off with, like uh, we established that there's a need for automating some of the provisioning of infrastructure. And uh, from there, like we can take... Uh, like Since... Uh, cloud and virtualization has dramatically changed how the compute aspect of automation is done, like new VMs are sprung on demand, but accord according to that, new storage has to be provisioned too, so uh, new iSCSI targets or NFS exports have to be provisioned on demand and uh, appropriately have uh, access, uh, access has to be managed to these. So there's a need for automating some of that stuff, then we talk about the automation uh, approaches that we have, like either go a traditional scripting approach where you have, where it's confined to a particular task, takes your infrastructure from a state A and then goes to a state B and uh, uh, then go to the other uh, automation approaches uh, like uh, provided by Puppet, like the state-based uh, automation approach. Then we talked about the Puppet module for NetApp uh, the especially Puppet module for the FAS systems, which manages cluster data on tap, 
then we talked about managing the whole infrastructure through it. Yeah. So, so you just really kind of walked them all the way through it, right? Here's here's <laughs> the way that we've traditionally done this automation, mm-hmm. right? And and here's this new way that 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 people are doing automation. Mm-hmm. Here's NetApp's plugin into that automation, and then mm-hmm. finally all the way through. Here's an example of how you could actually consume this. Yes. Yeah, I, and I know Dave and I were talking about you know leveraging these tools in an OpenStack-related sense, but I know that you've been working on it from a FlexPod standpoint, right? Yep. And regardless of what's actually on top of that FlexPod, you know, mm-hmm. automating the infrastructure and providing those services. So, can you mm-hmm. can you elaborate on some of the things yes. that you've been working on, some of the stuff that you've been able to do with those puppet modules? Yeah, sure. So. Uh to start off with, like to have some uh, level set, uh, just to describe the basic entities in Puppet. So, like we have, uh, and we'll describe what happens. Uh, what are the characteristics of these entities? So, we have a Puppet resource type. So, resource type is an entity managed by Puppet. So, we have uh, resource type managing uh, resource type managing a NetApp flex volume, a net uh, or a NetApp aggregate, or a managing an NFS export. So these are resource types, and uh, the characteristics of this resource types are you declare what you want in those resource types. So like you declare that you need a flex wall of 20 gigabits, uh, gigabytes, and uh, the system, the puppet takes care of uh, things uh, of implementing it. So example, like uh, the underlying uh, cluster data on tab system might have a flex wall of uh, 20 gigabytes, which is already present, or it might not have that particular flex wall at all, or it might have a flex wall of some different size. So basically the resource type would take into consideration all these three cases and then uh, move the infrastructure to a desired state. So in this case, it's like a flex wall of 20 gigabytes. So that's the declarative aspect of... uh, uh, declarative and idopotent aspect of the resource types. So, so I'm going to take a step back and, and play mm-hmm. stupid um, because I, I am cheating, right? And I know what all of these things mean. So, so Dave, mm-hmm. can you walk us through sort of the basics of Puppet, right? What what do all of these different things mean, right? When we say declarative, when you say mm-hmm. independence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, configuration and mm-hmm. how does Puppet actually apply that, and and how is it different than maybe some of the others that we've heard? Yes, Sully. I, we can definitely take you through some of those facets, but let me, let me start. You know, going back to us talking about OpenStack, I should have made this point earlier, but you know, especially with some of the work that that I've done and others at NetApp, Puppet is the basis for for automating a lot of the infrastructure and setup bits inside of Red Hat OpenStack platform. So, to take a step back even further for a minute, w- what problem does this solve? Um, I, I worked in a data center environment for about ten years, and I wrote lots of custom scripts in Perl, in Bash, in Python among other languages, to to accommodate or to automate certain tasks. Yep, yep. And the very difficult aspect of that is my logic or, or, you know, the way that I write the code might be different from, say, how you write the code. And, say, if I was to leave that organization, you would get stuck with the task of maintaining that code, adding things to it, taking away. And that's a very difficult value proposition there. Instead, compare and contrast with Puppet or other automation frameworks where it's a a desired end state, as Amit mentioned, describe exactly how you want the infrastructure to be set up in layman's terms. You know, have a a set variable saying, I would like, like Amit mentioned, a flex volume with size 20 gigabytes. And 
launch it and automate it. I shouldn't have to know the APIs inherent in order to orchestrate and set that up. I shouldn't have to set up an SSH session or build up the, the atomic actions that are required in that automation to be able to accomplish what it is I want to do. So that breeds standardization. It breeds a common framework that we can you know expand around of. And I don't have to know that underlying complexity in making sure, oh, am I accessing the right SNMP port for this set command? I just, this is how I want it to appear Go make it happen. Yeah, one of the things that I really like about you know leveraging these existing robust tools as well as participating in the open source you know community is things like error checking, right? I can only yep. uh, when I'm scripting something, I in my head come up with well, I think this or this or this could go wrong, right? Maybe it runs for a few weeks, something else breaks. Okay, well let me fix that. It runs for a few weeks, something else breaks, right? But instead, you have when you're using the community, you have thousands of people who have already done a lot of that work for you and you can take advantage of it you're not reinventing the wheel over and over and over again absolutely yeah i i in my opinion those i I love where you went with that dave because (laughs) the second you started talking all four of us in this room right now just started shaking our heads going yep uh uh-huh that's it that keep preach preach brother go (laughs) um and and i really i i've just come to the conclusion that that somewhere along the way the word automation became like synonymous with magic pixie dust for for a portion of our industry and and it's well, oh you have an api we'll automate it well, yes how yeah we can do that but how much will that cost what's the total cost of that automation and is it actually less than you know actually manually managing it because it's not always the 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 case what these declarative uh, engines do is they solve that like, it's not even a question. If you're in the engine, if it's native and it's, it's, it's a participating first-class member, then it, it's just you just tell it what you want it to look like when you're done, and it deals with that. You don't have to think about any of that complexity. And even as someone who knows how to do that, I would rather use one of these frameworks where I don't have to. Like, why, why would you choose to do more work? I don't get it. Yeah, and also from, you know, Going to the OpenStack summits, there's two main audiences. There are developers and operators. And so automation like Puppet is written in, su- in such a way where both developers and, yep. and operators can take advantage of it. Operators can use this automation, and, and certainly through uh, blog posts or that NetApp technical report that Amit published out there, illustrates and shows how operators can set up storage systems, set up NetApp-specific storage systems, which with our uh, modules that we have out there, we have one for our uh, seven-mode and clustered data on tap operating system. We have one for our NetApp E-Series operating system, and as well as SolidFire has a module that was just published in February to manage their storage operating system. So can you tell us about, so how does this work as a storage administrator, right? And I look at this as... So most storage administrators today are going to, if you're a pure storage administrator, right, you're going to go to the CLI or you're going to go to whatever GUI, right, your storage product happens to have, um, whether it's from our portfolio or somebody else's. And, you know, I need to create a new share. And through a, a, uh, a diff- varying degrees of, you know, intuition and experience and just guesswork, you know, I'm going to put it onto this particular aggregate or this disk group. Or, or, so how does all of that change when we're talking about a tool like Puppet or Chef or the rest of the stable of automators? So what Puppet allows us to do is describe uh, what we want in a dumb XML or a JSON file. So you take a, 
uh, you take the resource types that you would like to use and uh, put them in an XML file that anyone can write. So there's no programming logic or anything involved in it. It's just about telling what you want. So you write these manifests there and uh, uh, you just apply these manifests on the underlying system. So that takes your system to the desired state. Now coming, to, coming back to writing of these manifests, uh, these manifests uh, from an NetApp standpoint, like if we are going to uh, use these manifests for uh, a prescriptive guidance purpose kind of thing. So like you can describe, uh, you can have certain attributes which are uh, fixed or recommended by subject matter experts for particular resource types and just have a few variables like the size that one wants to uh, have or the IP address of the lift that one wants to have. So just have those variables that can be changed, but with the but with all the other stuff uh, embedded into the manifest, it's just like changing a few variables and then it's like deploy an NFS export for me. Yeah, so what I'm, what I'm hearing is at least by default, right, it's not doing any automated selection of an aggregate, for example. You're having to tell mm -hmm. it, I want to create a volume on this aggregate. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, I think it's, there's multiple workflows in something like WFA from NetApp Right, where it will select that aggregate for you. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the things, you know, at least me, when I was a storage administrator, right, losing that control is scary. Whether or not it's rational is a different thing, but it is a mm -hmm. little bit intimidating. Um, so the other thing that I always like to bring up, um, particularly when we're talking about manifest files, right, mm -hmm. they are literally files, right, as you said, XML or JSON. And mm -hmm. that means that you can do things like source control on them. Which is the whole reason they're files in the first place. That's not yes. an accident. Yeah, and so my my classic use case is, you know, hey, we created a volume. Okay, how do you know that that volume is supposed to be there tomorrow? How do you know who created that volume or when it was created, right? Yep. And leveraging, you know, manifest files that describe exactly what you're doing by leveraging the source revision tool Right, you can see exactly what that history is. Yeah, and you can also set best practices based on your organization or use case, and you can audit that later for compliance perspectives. But also getting back to the operator comment from earlier, say you have a team of four or five people geographically dispersed. Well, say a request comes in to say, I need a, I need a volume exposed to this host for this particular purpose. Administrator A might do it one way. Administrator B might do it a different way. And there's really, there's no consistency between that. Automation like this solves it, where it's in a common repository. Uh, I'll use a term Amit used in his technical report, infrastructure as code. We can treat the infrastructure as code and consistently iterate using the storage of that code, as Glenn mentioned. It's a text file. There's, there's a reason because it's easily looked at and easily tracked with differences in deltas on specific dates and time frames. Um, so it, it's, it's really great from that perspective. Yeah, and, and let's go back and remind the listeners of that stat that uh, Mr. Murawski shared with us. Uh, the, the, the single most determining factor that, that uh, they were able to find for organizations with success is whether or not they use source code. Right? Just, it's a binary state. Do you use source code with your operations team? You're probably successful. Yeah, uh, that was one of the surprising things. You know, I was not on that podcast because I was in God knows where, but I, I was listening to it on an airplane, and and it was one of those things of you know, yeah, I distinctly remember when you and I worked together the first time at a previous job, Glenn, and we introduced 
source yeah. control for the infrastructure, and it changed the way that a lot of things happened. And so, hearing hearing him say that, hearing you know the the empirical study done that that makes a difference is pretty uh, pretty interesting, pretty incredible. I feel like that's that's the, the this entire segment of this this business, whatever you want to call it, right? The the state management thing. Um, it's it's all right now. It's it's being fulfilled by people who have been in this space <laughs> long enough to learn all of the things that suck about being in this space and know enough to look at this and just go, oh, my God, that's so much better. But but we're in this weird middle ground right now where the we I feel like we have reached a critical mass. You know, it, here, l- listen, this is, you know, here we are on NetApp's official podcast talking about NetApp having a, a module for Puppet, you know, something that two years ago was on my wish list of things that I was I was desperately trying to get people interested in around here because I was super interested in it but but it, it's been this like uphill fight convincing people that 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 it's important but now that these modules exist I feel like we're at the tipping point there was a tipping point that I saw with PowerShell you know where cuz I I got I got swept up by it early on in the early betas and I just shifted all of my work from VBScript to, to Monad because it was just so much better. You could just look at it and go, this is going to win. I'm, I'm jumping now. I'm moving everything right now. Um, there was a tipping point at, at TechEd 2011 where I attended a session, and one of the Microsoft speakers, he was from the Windows Server file, uh, failover cluster team, he got up on stage and he apologized to the entire audience. And he told them before he even started, he got up there and he went, uh, guys, I'm sorry, there's no PowerShell in this presentation. It's all going to be command line. Like th- That was the tipping point. When you have to open your session and apologize <laughs> because you're going to be showing people ex- executable CLI commands and not PowerShell commandlets, and the audience now expects it, I feel like, personally, we are approaching that tipping point with these state machines. Tools like Puppet and Chef and Ansible and Salt, they- they've, get- they've reached the critical mass where, as a, as a data center administrator, you can start to look across your entire landscape and ca- encapsulate not just the servers and not just your Linux servers, but your Windows hosts as well. The application stacks that run on top of those, even your business-critical traditional apps, your ERPs, your SAPs, your, your, your SQLs, right? Bring on Oracle. It all works. You, you can bring in your application stacks, but you can also now manage things like the storage and networking and, and those other ancillary layers. So you can start to... You know, this is what infrastructure as code is. That's what that word means. It means taking all of the logical configuration inside a data center and putting it into a plain text file that you can check into source code. Yeah, so so here's an interesting question for you guys, right? And that, you know, uh, particularly, you know, Dave, Glenn, and I, we're roughly the same age, right? Amit, I think that you're a, a few years younger than us, right? But we've been doing this for the better part of 15 years, each of us. You know, so... You know, is there a new generation of administrators who did not come up being, you know, shoulder deep in the in in the nether regions of, you know, the storage or of the servers or the operating system or whatever it happens to be, you know, where, you know, a, a, there is legitimately a very effective teams of administrators who take advantage of tools like this and don't have to worry about the weeds, so to speak, or they bring in the vendor right, the people like us who now work for a vendor, to take care of that for them? So I would say purely from 
those operations teams, there's less silos inherent in those data center teams or data center environments to where there's an SME for the network, there's an SME for the storage, there's an SME for the virtualization. I mean, let's face it, there's do more with less is the adage there. And people have had to pick up additional responsibilities so they don't have time to read through uh, 50,000 pages of documentation on whatever disparate technology they're being tasked with having to implement, optimize, and deploy and instead turning to things, how can I do more with less? And automation frameworks really capstone that, that desire. As a lot of times vendors, I mean, NetApp included with our technical report that was published out there, we showcase exactly how to deploy uh, you know, the inherent components inside of Puppet, the Puppet Master and the Puppet Agent, uh, to be able to take advantage of our module for the FAS platform. And showing folks that credibility there uh, really brings credence for those administrators in those environments. But getting back to Glenn's point about, you know, the data center administrators, also the developers are an important part of that conversation too. Specifically with our Puppet module with, with NetApp FAS, as well as NetApp SolidFire, a developer, him or herself, can write manifest files and actually, you know, implement and integrate with storage transparently. You know, they're multi-tenant aware, specifically for the FAS platform, you can target it at a NetApp storage virtual machine, and that developer, him or herself, can provision volumes and not have to open tickets or get the IT team involved. So can, can you give us a use case where, you know, what type of application or what type of application administrator is, is doing that? Uh, so maybe an administrator that, that uh, is, is doing a common CI-CD workflow where they need to spin up uh, a specific stack, uh, maybe a web server or maybe a database server, but it has to have a persistent storage uh, aspect of it. Why, why not automate with, with an orchestration framework to spin up all of those respective elements, configure them for that person's respective tests, including the storage, and wrap that up in a nice wrapper in a workflow? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I it's all the same use cases. It's all the same customers. Like where where I've personally like seen this be successful is it, it, typically like you'll come in and you'll find a traditional orchestration platform that's being supplanted by a state machine, right? So you know, in my space, I watch people go. Right now, they're moving from system center operation or sorry, system center orchestrator towards some SMA, but actually much more, the big swing is trying to get into Azure Resource Manager and desired state management with DSC because the payout there is twofold. It's what I described from the operation side, but you can also leverage the same exact investment for what David was just bringing up with the dev side. So it's, it's one investment that you can use on both sides of the house. And since it's a common plain text file, you know, even the, the, the senior management of those sides of the house can interpret what's going on, right? That implies that management knows what JSON is. No, so uh, the, the beauty of JSON <laughs> is you don't have to know what it is to understand what it is. You can just look at it and, exactly. and, and suss out key value pairs. Like, it's self-explanatory. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I do think it's important to point out. And I actually uh, started to work on a, a presentation that quickly got unwieldy because it's not a it's not an easy concept to illustrate. But you know, if if you look at an infrastructure, right, it's really only made up of three things, right? Servers, storage, and networking. And on top of there, you can layer any number of things, a virtualization layer, an infrastructure as a service layer, a pass layer, a software as a service layer, right? All of these other things. And you know, that's not even counting 
any unique applications, right? Any any business mm -hmm. applications that your organization is implementing. And these tools, right, tools like Puppet can play into every single layer inside of there. And even sub-teams yes. inside of there can all use them in different ways, right? If you have a storage silo, they can use Puppet the way that they want to use it. You layer on top of that maybe a storage as a service catalog. Again, you can use that, a, a tool like Puppet at that layer, right? And on and on and on mm -hmm. up and down the stack. So it, it's sometimes confusing, I think, if you're looking at it from the outside and, you know, mm -hmm. oh yeah, we use Puppet for that. Yeah. Well, don't you also use it for the operating system? And don't you also use it for the application? And yes, absolutely. And sometimes those teams go up and down, right? As Dave was just saying, you know, sometimes you'll have an application guy who's also interacting with the infrastructure because, hey, it turns out some of those storage features are actually really helpful to the application, you know, yep. stuff like that. Yep. And to add on to that, like uh, even uh, the from an administrator's perspective, he can. Uh, there's a way to have some of the things as prescribed constants and some of them as variables. So even from a developer's side, if he's utilizing the manifest templates, he'll be uh, following the best practices as prescribed by the vendor and just using the variables according to his need. So that's the twofold advantage, I would say. Yeah. So, so for the listener at home, like when you're when you're building this manifest, you know, when you're creating a volume, what what is it? Three inputs emit. Uh, three three yep. mandatory. There's three attributes mm -hmm. that must be defined in the manifest in order for us to deploy a volume, but they could optionally supply twenty or thirty attributes to to fully you know populate all mm -hmm. that metadata and tell us exactly how they want that storage to be configured and 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 set up. Do I have that? Yeah. So like. Uh like to just to add on to that, uh, considering uh, so consider a developer who needs an NFS export for one of his VMs. Sure. So for the NFS export, like if you are adding four resource types, then he can just the from the vendor side, the vendor can supply a, a manifest containing the uh, attributes according to the best practices and variables only for those attributes that can be changed like uh, that can that can be based on the need basis like the size of the nfs exports or the ip on which he wants to access that export so yeah so for instance like uh i'm trying to think of an example here something simple like uh op locks right in in the manifest we're just going to say op locks is on cuz you know whatever 99% of the time you're going to want that on yes. but if you there are use cases where you want to turn it off and and to enable those edge scenarios, that's where this this these layers of metadata come in. So the idea is you document the bare minimum, but the inf the system you're using can natively just kind of flex out to that more complex scenario where you need to. Well, I, I look at it as so things like VMware data stores, right? You have access time updates, so you want to create that baseline that always says, well, for a VMware data store, a time updates are always turned off. For other things, they're not. But I think mm -hmm. it's also important to point out that. With that effectively layers, right, where the top person only needs to know as much as they need to know, right? Uh, the way that I always like to say is, if I'm an application administrator, do I care if deduplication is turned on? It has nothing to do with me. Yeah, no. I, I could care less whether or not I am saving you, Mr. Storage Administrator, right, space on your array. But, of course, the storage administrator does care. Right, so at that you know best practices layer, right, they can mm -hmm. say, well, anytime it's application wide, duplication is on, right, and at the application layer, it's simply I need a hundred gigabyte volume, and they don't have to worry about the details. But I think some also some magic comes into play when you start stitching multiple modules together. We had a oh, yeah. we had a teammate of ours on the FlexPod team, David Arnett. Uh, he took the VMware uh, vCenter module 
specifically our NetApp FAS module, and plans on taking our the Nexus 5000-9000 puppet module and stitching together a complete workflow, which would effectively, and I, and I highlight effectively kind of in, in, in quotes here because there's some other setup that's involved there, but standing, you know, taking this automation and standing up a FlexPod from a day one perspective, that's awesome. That saves a lot of time. There's consistency in deployments. And Glenn, if, if we're working on a, on a Cisco validated design and NetApp yep. verified architecture, it's easy for us to stand that infrastructure up for whatever project that we're doing. And easy to audit it, easy to look at it, and maybe even the future, easy to provide to our customers inside of those CVDs, NVAs, and TRs. Yeah, it's it's uh, and listeners, if you haven't picked up yet on, on just by the, the absolute plethora, we've covered this topic to death, seemingly, <laughs> uh, on this show. Uh, I, we're bullish around here on it. Uh, we, we, we're particularly inside the Converged Infrastructure Group, uh, inside NetApp. Uh, we just look at this space, and 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 in my mind, I here. Let, let me see if I. You guys tell me if this this gels with you. But I kind of break this up and go. You can kind of picture. There's way more than this. It's not this simple. But you can kind of picture two ends of the spectrum, right? There's the one end of the spectrum that that we've talked about with shows. You know, like when we had our Evo show and and, and CI versus HCI, and talking about those markets. The HCI end of the market is where you're dealing with a small number of, of human beings that are managing a large number of complex topics, right? But, but you, don't have, uh, you don't have a lot of people, and you typically have a small amount of kit. So what you need there is you need a system that makes it easy for the person to be able to, to, to manage everything. And, th- and that's where these really beautiful GUIs come in and these simplified platforms that make it so that you, know, you buy one server and everything's on there and all that fun jazz. Other end of the spectrum, you've got where the CI market lives, where where we deal with really big shops and, and typically like more complicated environments and enterprises that that have greater scale and cost of goods like is a thing that matters. And in those organizations, they actually need these state tools way more than they need like a pretty GUI, you know, because they're dealing with with the complexity, they're dealing with the alterations and. You know, the, the lesson that I feel that we learned in, in the 2000s and, and somewhat in the late 90s was that single pane of glass was a myth that we were promised and is not possible, right? It's like breaking light speed. <laughs> kind of like the CMDB in, yeah. in ITIL. Yeah, the <laughs> mythical ITIL CMDB. In theory, if it was possible to, to actually maintain that thing, the CMDB is a beautiful idea that solves so many problems it's not funny. But in practice, keeping it actually like concurrent and, and accurate is a nightmare in and of itself to the point where people have just given up on the practice. So, you know, th- these state engines for those larger organizations are, are providing that lever of efficiency uh, that, that the HCI market is kind of doing for the smaller end. It's, to me, it's the same problem, two different, two different solution sets. And it makes it hard because you look at it and you go like, well, wait a minute. These are two wildly different ways of looking at the world. How can they both coexist? And, and the answer to that is, as I just stated, they're intended for different people. And, and if, if, if what we're describing doesn't sound like something that would move the needle for your organization or for your customers that you're interacting with, then this isn't for you. But if you work with, with an organization that's into this stuff, well, then I, you probably already know the word puppet, and you're probably listening to this going, oh, wow, you guys have a module? Or, yeah, we already knew you had a module. You're just finally getting around to this. So it's, it's all about perspective. 
so the TR that we've been referencing, it just occurred to me that we haven't actually uh, given it a shout out. That is TR4477, uh, using Puppet to manage NetApp storage infrastructure. We will, of course, put a link in the show notes. Uh, is there anything else that, that, that we haven't really touched on in this topic that, that we need to cover, guys? Yeah, and Dave, I know that you were working on a new Rel OSP uh, reference architecture with FlexPod, and I saw that you were putting a whole bunch of stuff into the NetApp GitHub repositories. That's right, Andrew. So with a lot of these tools, and I, and I mentioned this earlier with, with Glenn, is we want to bring our, our technical deliverables and our collateral you know, into the 21st century and provide code to help our customers accelerate their deployments. So to that end, with Red Hat OpenStack Platform 8 on FlexPod, we've published a series of uh, pre-deployment heat templates. So with OpenStack, uh, we've written YAML files, you know, similar to what we've been talking to here, very, very easy to understand uh, set attributes inside of plain text files that get pa gets passed to uh, the installation product that Red Hat uses called the OpenStack Platform Director setting up such things as our NetApp E-Series platform in an automated manner for Swift, uh, setting up and orchestrating Cinder to come up out of the box after the deployment is done. For us in the lab, it took us about 26 minutes uh, to have the NetApp Unified Cinder driver there, um, as well as some post-deployment tasks, some atomic uh, scripts written there to deploy OpenStack Manila, the file share as a service in that paper there. So, you know, and with the thought being, a customer would take the paper, uh, consume the content, but take that automation down, modify just a few succinct variables to suit their individual use cases, and then deploy it using the guidance in the document. So it's, it's less guessing and more time to value with automation that we stick up there. So that's, that's in that TR as well. And, and I'm, I'm hoping, and I'm as bullish as Glenn is, uh, that we can start to provide those that same uh, automation with like puppet manifests or files as part of our projects and our deliverables. Yeah, so uh, I brought that up specifically to point out that we are actually publishing automation to yeah. the GitHub site, right? It is open source. Anybody can come and pull it down. We welcome any and all merge requests if anybody wants to uh, to improve upon that, right? I know Dave wrote a lot of a lot of that, and uh, Dave's a super smart guy, but he's not infallible. Um, so, you know, we, of course, welcome, um, you know, any contributions. But I also want to take a moment to point out that this is something that's fundamentally changing inside of NetApp, right? We are, we are actively getting better at doing these sorts of things, right? There is a non-inconsequential movement inside of NetApp to make that those automation tools more available, right, to our customer base, to anybody who wants to be able to leverage them. Well, and, and along those lines, uh, to, to the listeners uh, listening to this, the, the call to action, uh, if you will, is, is if, if this is something that you need, let your reps know. Because uh, that this is, uh, you know, D D Dave, D Dave went ahead and is publishing automation code with his CVD. It's something that, that I know many people on the team have looked at several times, and, and we internally are much more interested in doing more of. But, but there's this question of what is the appetite for this? Like, is this really what you want as, as a market, as a consumer? Is, is, this, is this the problem that you're looking for us to solve? Do you need us to provide you the templates? Or, or is our job just to, to make sure that the, the core manifests exist and that the modules are, are, are there and that the capabilities exist and just get out of the way and let you build, build those, those templates? So, you know, if you have an opinion, reach out. Let your teams know. That stuff filters up, and, 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 and we'll get to it. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to imply that it's a solved problem or anything like yeah. that. Um, 
you know, at, at some point we should have Mark Bregman on uh, our NetApp's, uh, well, not so new CTO anymore. He's been here for, what, eight or nine months. Um, Love that guy. Yeah. And, and He's uh, so good. Yeah. Lots of really great thoughts, right? He's sort of leading that whole, you know, change in thought process. So uh, I do know that he did a tech field day uh, uh, extra or extended talk at OpenStack Summit, which should be available now. And um, really, really good things to, to say inside of there. So and uh, what was it, last week, I think I was in Sunnyvale to meet with the A-team, and he gave him a session, and I, I know there was four or five of those guys who said, you know, Mark's session was the best one that we had. So um, there's lots of really interesting things that are happening in that area. I, I, I've said it multiple times in the show, but but he blew me away uh, when I got the opportunity to, to interview him at Inside EMEA uh, last year. Opening sentence, you know, I asked him about what it was like to be, you know, you're the new CTO of NetApp. What's going on? What's where are we headed? And he answered the question with, "Well, I can't predict the future, and it's pointless to try." This is like, I love you, man. You get this, and so you just get this. You're the best. Well, I have to say, it's good to it's uh, good slash refreshing to have uh, a C level executive who, for example, is writing a book on innovation. You know, that's yeah. that's good. Yeah. Does not hurt, as they say. Uh, okay, uh, it, f- it feels like this plane is getting ready to land. Uh, so one, so one more thing, just 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 so the listeners are aware, uh, both the NetApp E series and the NetApp Cluster Data on Tap slash Seven Mode Puppet modules are available in the Puppet Forge. So you can go out there and on a system itself today, just run the command Puppet Module Install, whichever the respective module is, NetApp dash NetApp underscore E or NetApp underscore NetApp-FAS, and you can get those modules today. And to Andrew's point, uh, we're only human. We write code. Sometimes things have to change. Uh, The same thing that he reiterated about uh, the code that I've written, the same thing is true for uh, the modules that are up there on Puppet Forge. Pull requests are definitely welcome, and if you have a problem with those modules, there's a support system there that anybody can open a ticket for. We would love to hear your feedback, and we take you know, the downloads of those modules, you know, very seriously as well. I think since uh, September, we've had over 4,000 unique downloads of uh, the FAS module. And specifically for the E-Series module, we've had 1,000, I think, since the beginning of the year. So mm-hmm. definitely some momentum there. And the Solid Fire module, that's published on our uh, uh, GitHub, NetApp GitHub specifically. So github.com slash NetApp, I'm sorry, slash Solid Fire. And then it's, it's a repository underneath that. So pull request welcome in all three situations. And I'll go ahead and uh, uh, do a little bit of a tease for something that uh, myself and Josh Atwell and a, a handful of others, Brendan Wolf, uh, uh, Salim, have been working on uh, with regard to Insight. So if you're a developer, if you're an, an infrastructure automator, if you are any of those things, we're going to have some uh, super cool stuff going on at Insight this year. So feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions, if anybody's curious about things. All right. Uh, Amit. If I wanted to stalk you on the internet, where would I go? Uh, you can, of course, find me on Twitter, uh, Amit underscore Borulkar, uh, at Twitter dot Twitter slash. Yep, that's yep, my Twitter yep. handle. We'll, 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 put, we'll, we'll get it in there, buddy. <laughs> sure. And also, uh, just a teaser like uh, Andrew mentioned, uh, Josh Atwell from Solid Fire and uh, uh, and me have submitted a session for Puppet Conference. So be sure. Uh, so. Feel free to catch us up there also, of course, if the session is accepted. And uh, apart from that, uh, for the Puppet module, like we have been uh, engaged with the Puppet module and like 
we have today a new functionality of uh, fiber channel management was also included just today in the Puppet module. Just merged, hot off yep. the press. Awesome work. Congratulations. <laughs> I didn't even know about that. <laughs> D- D- Dave's over here like pointing at his, his screen for, for the listener at home. For like five minutes, he's been pointing <laughs> at his screen. And I see a mitt just glancing out the corner of his eyes. And I'm like, what is he pointing at? And then he drops, oh, yeah, by the way, we added fiber channel. But where did, okay, sure, great. <laughs> this is why these systems are going to win, guys. That is, you can update them real speed. You get to 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 leverage the scale of everyone in the world who's running it together. You all get to solve problems together. It's I'm super 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 bullish, uh, and you guys have been doing some amazing work, particularly on this puppet integration and the collateral surrounding it. Because we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that that we do have integration and. Just about every single one of these spaces. Uh, th- the only one that I think we're missing is desired state configuration from Microsoft, but that's still... They have to finish their Server 2016 launch before that stuff makes sense. So they're, they're, that makes sense where we're, where we're at in this progression. But yeah, we've got uh, uh, Chef and Salt and, and uh, plugins for, for just about every ecosystem out there. So definitely take a look-see if Puppet isn't your thing. Uh, but if Puppet is your thing... Boy, do we have some stuff for you. So, again, go check out TR4477. Uh, David and Amit, thank you so much for joining us. You didn't let Dave do his. I didn't. You're right. I'm sorry. Dave, where do people find you on the Internet? Well, you can, of course, find me on Twitter at uh, the handle at the Dave Kane. Um, I also regularly blog on netapp.github.io on a wide range of topics. And uh, Or you can leave comments in the eventual post. I know Sully's going to write on the NetApp community site. We regularly check that. And if you have any comments or suggestions for us of things that you may want us to look at with uh, all the, the smattering of goodness we've been talking about from an automation standpoint, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, and for uh, NetApp account teams who are listening, because I know we have, I don't know, one or two of those, uh, you know, be, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we're happy to help, to guide, to point towards uh, information that's out there. Uh, if you are a, a NetApp employee or a partner who has access to Field Portal, there is now a DevOps interest that collects all of this stuff together. So you can find out a whole lot more information about not just our Puppet integration, but automation in general, all the other integrations that we have and uh, are working on. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now Stitcher, or you can just head on over to TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, please leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to personally thank David Amit for joining us this week. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Good job, guys. Thank you. Yeah, great work. There's no gag is it girl, just is there? Me that's getting off on no, this? we just stand here and oh, stare yeah. at each other uncomfortably until the music stops. How you doing? What's for lunch? I don't know. Let's go get some lunch. Yeah, that sounds a good idea. Food's good.